Speaking of my previous parish, uh, we were a, a nice uh, kind of a hall that they built and a beautiful like state-of-the-art kitchen that goes with it. Built it. They probably did it maybe 10, 15 years ago. And, and there's a, a gal there uh, who's in charge of the kitchen. That's her ministry. She is the, uh, the kitchen czar. Right, so nothing happens in that kitchen without her her, know, her knowing about it and making making sure it's okay. And and uh, oftentimes, as in any parish, the kitchen gets used a lot. And different groups and things like that, and people that maybe don't know how to use some of the equipment, don't know how to store food, people don't know where to put the dishes away, things like this, right? And uh, her job is to make sure that all those things get taken care of. Um, her, I'll, I'll give her a name, it's not a real name, I'll just call her Susie. And she would uh, come to me when I was pastor there uh, quite frequently, like on a weekly basis, to complain about the people who were using the kitchen and not following the rules. And she was very upset about it. So she'd come to me and she'd yell at me because she thought I would be the one to uh, Discipline people for not putting the plates in the right cabinet or you know not sweeping the floor and She would come to me and, and, and say well, why aren't you like banning them from the parish for for eternity because they, they, they didn't uh, uh, Put things away, right? So it was always a it was always a conflict with her and I would get upset and I'd see her coming and I'd want to run the other way. I just didn't want to deal with it. And so I thought about it and said, you know, she's going to keep doing this. So there's got to be a way for me to be able to deal with this properly. And, and so I, I, I resolved to change how I dealt with her, uh, maybe to help the situation, I hoped. So when I saw her uh, coming towards me after Mass one one Sunday, and I saw the look on, on her face. The only, time, the only time she ever talked to me was to complain about the kitchen. So I knew that's what it was going to be. And, and, and so I, she came and she said, you know, she's right in front of me. And she goes, the, the Cub Scouts put the forks in the wrong drawer. And, and I, I just smiled at her. And I said, you know, Susie, has anybody ever told you how wonderful you are. <laughs> and she goes, no, you, they put the forks in the wrong drawer. I said, Susie, do you have any idea how many lives you've impacted over the years through your ministry? All the funeral lunches and all the people that you've touched because of your dedication. Has anybody ever told you thank you? She goes, you're not listening to me. Forks, wrong drawer, Cub Scouts. I said, Susie, I just wanna thank you for how awesome you are in all that you do. And, and her hands came up like this and they were shaking. And she goes, don't you start with me. I said, Susie, you do a great job. Thank you. 
in, 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 her, in her hands are they're, they're up on my face. And all of a sudden, she goes, you, you. And she grabbed my cheeks. And she pinched my cheeks. And she's shaking my cheeks. And she goes, you. And it was just so insane, the whole situation that I started to laugh. I can't believe this is happening. And my, my cheeks, they still hurt from that, you know, and it's been years. And, but I started laughing, and, and all of a sudden, she stopped, and she took her hands away, and she started, she started to laugh. Did you see what the strategy was? You know, and we've all learned it in when you know, people tell us, kill them with kindness. It's a strategy of nonviolence. It's a strategy of the resistance of love. Love in the face of things that aren't love, right? And, and so what happened is that I, I gave Susie an opportunity to see herself as she really was in those moments. And it, it was just enough of a jarring realization of, of what she was doing that it gave her pause and she stopped. She never did it again to me. She never came to me with another issue with the kitchen. I, I pray for the person that she ended up going to, but um, <laughs> it wasn't me. And see, I gave her a moment where I allowed her to see her behavior in a way that snuck in there beyond her defenses and, and broke through that hard-heartedness, and she changed. Right? This is what the Lord's doing today. He's teaching us this. You know, it's... You've heard that it was said. An eye for an eye, tooth for tooth, or, you know, love your neighbor but hate your enemy. So those were, those were aspects of the law that were given to the Jews in the Torah. So God, God allows you to strike your, your persecutor. God allows for you to hate your enemies. And brothers and sisters, we know this isn't true anymore. But back then, they, they, they were so steeped in their sinfulness they were so hard-hearted that they couldn't change their behavior. So God gave them some, some exceptions to the rules as, a, as an outlet for their, their violence and their sinfulness, right? He says, I know they're going to break this rule, so I'm going I'm to lighten it up on them. I'll let them, all right, as long as they're good to each other, I'll let them hate their enemy. Because they didn't have grace they just had the law, and the law was, was fear-based, and it wasn't enough to get them through. So he gave them exceptions. You've heard that it was said. But Jesus says, I say to you, and only God can change the law. So you've heard that it was said, God said this, but I say this. In other words, he's saying, I get to write the law because I'm God, and I'm changing it. No more exceptions. Grow up. It's time to... Put your big boy pants on and get to work. No more exceptions. 
It's like, man, this is tough. But back in the day, at the beginning, when we were in, in friendship with God, before we sinned, we only had one rule. Don't eat from that tree, remember? That was it. It was the only rule we had. And we blew it. We couldn't do it. So there's a multiplication of rules. So you get the, you know, the, the Torah and Numbers and Leviticus and the Midrash and you go from, you know, don't eat from that tree to the Ten Commandments and then that doesn't work and so they just, it snowballs. The worse we are, the more sinful we are, the more we misbehave, the more rules and laws we're going to get. But that's not what the Lord wants from us. He wants us, yeah, you've got laws, but I don't want you... I don't want you obeying them because you're obligated or because you're afraid of what's going to happen if you break them. I want you just being good people. I want you to be perfect. Like your Heavenly Father is perfect. I want you to live the life of grace and I want you to live the law, not because you're told to, not because you're fearful of what's going to happen if you break it. I just want you to do it because it's part of who you are. You've got my life in you. And, and, and so you are going to be just and you're going to be virtuous and you are going to come up with these strategies of the resistance of love. You're going to do it for no other reason that you've got grace. And how far away are we from that? And we live in a, a doggy dog world. It's a cold, harsh world that we live in where we are taught from the very beginning to fight for what you want and if somebody's in your way, to bulldoze them and go right through it to get what you want for yourself. That's our world. And boy, do we buy into it. And the Lord's saying, grow up. No more of that. You know, one of the philosophers of the last century, uh, Nietzsche, Friedrich Nietzsche, said that Christianity is a religion for losers. It's a bunch of milk toast doormats that people just walk all over. And boy, we bought into that philosophy. We aren't going to be a doormat. We're not going to be, you know, taken advantage of. We're going we're to get in there with the rest of it and fight and take and dominate and, and, and persecute all this stuff that we get involved in. The Lord's saying, grow up, no more of that. So he gives it some examples, an eye for an eye, tooth for tooth. He says, when someone strikes your right cheek, turn the other one as well. So how is that a strategy of, of, of resistance? When you're just letting somebody hit you. Because, but look into this. In the Semitic culture, you never use your left hand for anything social. You never touched anybody with it. You didn't strike anybody. The left hand was for other things. Not social, not touching. It was only your right hand that could touch another person. And there's another rule with the right hand is that you could only touch somebody with this side of your hand, not the palm. The palm was for touching or hitting a slave. Right? This hand, this side, for everybody else. So when he says, strike, when someone strikes you, turn the other one as well. Well, what happens if, if I can only use my right and I strike somebody and I only can use this hand, I'm going to hit them. But then if, I'm gonna, if they turn the other cheek to me to hit that, what does it do? How do I do that? 
See how awkward that is? This is what the, so the Lord is providing a moment of opportunity for the oppressor, for the persecutor, for the person who's hitting another and showing violence to, to have this moment of awkwardness. So they're like, wait, what am I doing? The Lord is, is using that situation to allow the, the person who is wrong, who is doing evil, to see their actions as they really are. And through the resistance of love, conversion can take place. It's like when that, Susie says, you know, the forks, the forks, the forks. And I'm saying, you're awesome, you're awesome, you're awesome. If anyone wants to go to law with you over your tunic, hand over your cloak as well. If I give somebody my tunic, okay, fine. But if I give them my cloak, I'm naked. That was all their clothes. So for me, for you, somebody is taking something, but then you say, you know what? You want my clothes? You can have them. Right here in front of everybody. Take them. Do you see what the Lord is doing there? What is a humiliation for me becomes a humiliation for the person who is taking my stuff. Finally, someone pressed you into service for a mile, go for two. The Roman soldiers had the right uh, in Palestine to, to make the Jews uh, carry their stuff, their, their battle packs, but only for a mile. That was, the, that was the, the, the rule. So if a Roman soldier comes and makes me carry his heavy stuff, and I say, sure, I'll, I'll carry that for a mile. Because, you know, the Romans were persecutors. The Jews hated them. Yeah, I'll take your stuff. You're too weak to carry it. I'll do it. But then they get done with a mile, and by law he has to get, take the stuff back. And he goes, no, no, you're too weak, too fra fragile to, to do this. I'll, I'll go. Let's just keep going. I'll, I'll carry it too two miles and he's humiliating the soldier in front of all his other soldier friends moment to give the person pause to see, the, to see themselves as they really are in the awkwardness of their, of their evil ways and, and through that hard heartedness through the, through the persistence and the resistance of love a, an opportunity is created for the person to have a moment of conversion That's what the Lord is calling us to do. Think of all the people that wrong you, that you're angry at, that have spoken ill of you, people uh, in your own families that maybe uh, you're on the outs with, people, your friends that you don't speak with because they did something you don't like. Grow up, the Lord is saying. It's time to put your big boy pants on and use this as a moment to allow me to enter into the heart of those who persecute or cause suffering so that I can convert them. Anybody here who doesn't do that, we're no better than these Jews that needed these exceptions to the rules. With grace, we don't need exceptions. The rules and the laws that guide our lives are gifts. And by grace, we embrace them, not as an obligation or as an imposition, but as very, my very own life. Nothing gives me greater joy than to follow the law because I have the fulfillment of the law in my heart, Jesus Christ. Bring it on. No complaining. Just opportunities for conversion.
that the Lord gives us. Be perfect, like your Heavenly Father is perfect. One last thing. This Wednesday is Ash Wednesday. So Lent starts, and so all the times for the Masses are in the bulletin. So uh, hopefully uh, you begin Lent, uh, uh, coming to Mass, and getting your ashes, and and, uh, thinking about now these next few days, what are are you going to do? And I don't know if if I said it at this Mass or not, but wouldn't it be fantastic if all of us together gave up screens for Lent? No, no, no screens, no texting, no social media, no tablet, no TV, no computer. Wow. And when, you, when, I, when I suggest it as an option, what do, what's your response interiorly? What did you just say? There's not a chance that I'll ever do something like that. There's no way that I, that, I'm, that I can do that. I can't imagine what 40 days without, my, without the precious in my hand would, what I would do. Well, if, if that was our response, then that, that technology is an idol and it's a slavery and it needs, to be, it needs to be smashed. If you said you can't do it, that means you have to do it. You have to take your life back. Now, you can have exceptions. Movie night with the family, Sunday night, stream something, wholesome. Uh, you know, if, if you, there's something you have to do. Like for me, my exception is March Badness. So, which is like the whole month of March, praise God, right? <laughs> but come on, but agree, agree on it as a couple, as a family. This is what we're going to do and stick to it and hold each other accountable. What happens when we get rid of our technology, and I'm not talking about like you have to answer your phone or you have to text the kids to find out what's going on or you need to do something for work, emails, homework. That's, that's different. I'm just talking about the unnecessary stuff. What happens when we take our, family, or we take our lives back from technology? We talk more, we visit more, we eat meals together, we spend more time together, I read books, I go for walks, uh, I... I start exercising, I, I, I don't sit and you know, drink you know, two gallons of Coke and a bag of Cheetos on the couch. I mean, all the great things that happen. When you take your lives back, you take your families back, you take the power back. Right? When you smash these idols. I want us to do something big. We're gonna do it over at the house. A little March Madness, and there's no way I'm gonna watch March Madness every day. I don't have the time for it, but Little exception, kind of, you know, take the, take the edge off it, but, but by and large, no more stuff. I want, I, I, I spend way too much time on it. I'm the first to say that about myself. It, it, point the finger at yourself and say, all right, I'm guilty too, and I need to get this out of my life. I need to be a good example to my kids, whatever it is. But uh, what I really want is for us to have a really good Lent together. And I want it to be impactful and meaningful. So go, go after the biggest thing. And brothers and sisters, I know what it is. It's for all of us. It's, it's that technology. Right? Get it out. Give it to Jesus. Amen? Amen. All right. Well, it didn't sound very enthusiastic, but I'll take it. All right.